welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Corain. You can find all of my work at legendaryupside.com. And this is going to be a free preview of the main piece of content that I have every week in season at legendaryupside.com. This is going to be the first three games of the week four walkthrough, which is my game-by-game preview column that dives into the games, tries to predict what's going to happen using various advanced stats. The entire narrated version of this article is available on a premium podcast feed for subscribers. Uh, Also, the entire written content is available at legendaryupside.com. Link in the description for that. Uh, But let's go ahead and get to it. The title of the article is Week 4 Walkthrough, Justin Fields, Do or Die. Welcome to the Week 4 Walkthrough. In this article, I'll outline critical fantasy football context for this fourth glorious week of football. The stats below are from PFF, NFL Fastar, RBSDM.com, Rotoviz, Fantasy Labs, ESPN, NFL Next Gen, and Fantasy Life. In honor of Mike McDaniel, I've added explosive 15-plus yard pass rate to the matchup charts. The first game is Falcons at Jaguars, 9.30 a.m., London. Falcons implied team total, 20.25. The Falcons' commitment to the run has not wavered. They posted a minus 5% pass rate over expected in week three, with a minus 10% PROE on first down. Their minus 10% PROE this season is the lowest in the NFL. Then I've got the chart here showing pass rate over expected overall and on first down. And the Falcons are on the bottom left. Uh, They are kind of in a tier of their own in terms of run heaviness this season. But the Falcons might be pretty bad. Last week, the Lions were able to control the game against them, creating a 77% expected pass rate, the highest of the week. And although the Falcons fought that script, they stopped short of refusing to pass. Desmond Ritter dropped back 47 times, setting a new career high. Then I have a chart here that shows expected pass rate on the y-axis and pass rate on the x. Uh, This version of the chart is just for week three, but I'll reference this type of chart throughout the article. It creates four different quadrants. Uh, In the bottom left, you have teams that are dictating the run. They are expected to run a lot because they're in good game script and they are running. In the top left, you've got teams that are refusing to pass. This is often where the Falcons are. They're in scripts that call for passing, but they still run. In the bottom right, you've got teams that could run if they wanted, but are still throwing the ball. This is usually where the Chiefs are. And then in the top right, you've got teams that are they are passing a lot, but they're expected to pass a lot. They're down. This is usually where the Vikings are. Uh, they are there this week as well. But the Falcons, unusually, are in this part of the chart uh, for week three specifically. Unfortunately, Ritter's style of play doesn't work when the volume knob is cranked to 11. He's more of a Rafi acoustic set kind of guy. Then I've got a chart here, which is a new type of chart for this season's version of the walkthrough. Uh, It shows three different quarterback metrics by week. So the x-axis shows week one, week two, week three. And then I'm tracking EPA per play percentile, success rate percentile, and completion percentage over expected percentile, uh, how they change each week. So Desmond Ritter was not very good in week one, even though he was fairly accurate. He was much better in week two. And then in week three... He was in the 14th percentile or worse in all three metrics. Uh, So week three was pretty rough. And again, this is when he was getting the most volume. Last week, I speculated that Arthur Smith was attempting to limit Ritter's passing volume. 
Week 3 strongly reinforces the idea that Smith would prefer to hide his quarterback. Ritter finished quarterback 29 in EPA per play, quarterback 29 in success rate, and dead last in completion percentage over expected. Then I have a chart here from rbsdm.com showing Ritter's completion percentage over expected um, and EPA per play. The completion percentage over expected, he was the worst in the league. EPA per play, he was definitely bad, but not absolutely horrendous. For the season, Ritter ranks quarterback 26 in EPA per game and QB 27 in success rate. His play hasn't been as bad as the very worst quarterbacks in the NFL, but it's still been a rough start to the year. Then I've got the EPA per game and success rate chart here. He's next to Daniel Jones and Sam Howell. He's above the group of the very worst performers. Uh, This year, that's Zach Wilson, Ryan Tannehill, Joe Burrow, Bryce Young, Justin Fields, and Kenny Pickett. Unless the Jaguars' passing game comes alive in a big way and makes this game surprisingly fun, the Falcons will limit play volume by pounding the rock. And the Jaguars' defense is a sneaky good matchup for them. Then I have the matchup chart here. The Jaguars' pass defense isn't great, but it's not terrible. They look pretty strong in run defense, ranking third in EPA per rush and second in rushing success rate. On paper, the Jaguars look well-suited to stop the Falcons. They are competent against the pass and very strong against the run. But their 29th ranking in ESPN's run-stop win rate provides a strong indication that they are very overrated on the ground. Remember, they faced the Deion Jackson Colts in Week 1 and then got the Chiefs and Texans underwhelming rushing attacks. The Falcons will be unafraid to test Jacksonville's run defense, especially since they have an emerging superstar leading their backfield. Then I have Bijan Robinson's efficiency. Uh, he's been excellent this season. He's in the 90th percentile in rush yards over expected per attempt, uh, 88th percentile in rush yards over expected per game, 79th percentile in success rate, 78th percentile in yards per outrun, efficient across the board. Bijan Robinson continues to profile as a versatile, dynamic playmaker. He ranks RB6 in rush yards over expected per game, RB12 in success rate, and RB12 in yards per outrun. His workload is the only thing holding him back from producing a legendary fantasy season. And things are starting to fall into place. Then I've got Bijan Robinson's uh, snap shares from Fantasy Life. He was up to 80% snap share last week, 56% of team rushing attempts. Robinson has had a lock on Atlanta's backfield receiving duties from the jump. He debuted with 77% route participation and continues to post elite numbers. He currently ranks RB2 with 75% route participation. But Robinson's share of team attempts was lacking against the Panthers at just 38%. He rebounded in Week 3 with a 56% share against the Lions. In examining a legendary scenario where Robinson averages 23-plus PPR points per game this season, I only had to give Robinson 55% of team attempts to get there. With a 15% target share and elite efficiency, Robinson looked capable of breaking fantasy football. He currently has a 23% target share. Robinson isn't breaking fantasy football just yet, but he's definitely trending in that direction. Even attached to a struggling passing game, Robinson profiles as a borderline elite play. But man, the passing game. Kyle Pitts continues to rip our hearts out, playing a role barely bigger than Janu Smith's. Then I have the receiving stats for Pitts and Janu Smith. Pitts running a lot more routes but he's got a first read target rate of 14%. Smith is at 18%. He's got a target 
uh, per route run of 16%. Uh, Jonah Smith is at 21%. So the end result is that Pitts has a 19% target share with Jonu Smith at 17%. Even though Pitts is running a lot more routes, it's not leading to all that higher of a target share. But this isn't just a Pitts problem. It's a systemic issue. Smith's expected yards per route run of 1.65 bests Pitts 1.51. But that's because Smith has the most valuable per route role on the entire team. Then I have a chart here, and I'll reference this type of chart throughout the article as well. It shows expected yards per route run, which looks at targets and air yards per route to create a volume metric, and then yards per route run. The only difference between these two metrics is yards per target. So it's essentially comparing the like pure volume that a player is getting, including their targets and air yards, versus what they're actually doing with that volume, how efficient they're being when targeted. And the chart here shows that Everyone is basically flat. The expected yards per route run peaks at 1.65. If you're familiar with yards per route run, like an elite number is something over two. No one's getting volume anywhere near that to where they they would have to be super efficient on their targets to produce elite per route uh, efficiency. No one's getting the volume necessary to set them up for a really strong season. Heading into the season, I felt confident that even if Atlanta's play volume didn't increase, we'd at least see a concentrated target tree. But the Falcons aren't feeding either of their downfield playmakers. Drake London is failing to separate from Mac Hollins in the same way that Pitts is failing to distance himself from Smith. Then I've got a chart comparing Drake London and Mac Hollins. If you look at first read target rate, Hollins is actually higher at 14% compared to 13% for London. Uh, they're both at 16% targets per outrun. Hollins has the higher expected yards per outrun of 1.57 with London at 1.31. The Jaguars have a shot to push the Falcons to the air, which makes London and Pitts viable spike week bets. But the underlying numbers are ugly here, and London's outlook honestly looks worse than Pitts. Moving to the Jaguars, who have an implied team total of 23.25. It's been a disappointing start for Trevor Lawrence. Entering week three, Lawrence looked like an obvious bounce-back candidate. And he did bounce back, sort of. Then I have a chart here showing the EPA uh, and success rate from week three. Lawrence was just kind of in the middle. Uh, he didn't really separate from a big group of quarterbacks who were mediocre. After weeks one through two, Lawrence's success rate looked far better than his efficiency. He was playing consistently well, but turning in big negative plays. Against the Texans, Lawrence's efficiency was in line with his consistency, allowing Lawrence to post his first positive EPA per play of the season. Then I've got this percentile chart here showing that um, Lawrence's EPA per play has been quite poor from weeks one and two, but then it jumped to the 51st percentile last week. Still not great, though. But the hope for Lawrence wasn't just that he'd post positive efficiency against the Texans. It was that he'd turn in high-end results against a beatable pass defense. Instead, Jacksonville suffered a 37-17 defeat, dropping to 1-2. We got positive aggression from Lawrence, but his mediocre Week 3 performance doesn't instill confidence that we're headed for a true 2023 breakout. And passing volume also looks like it could be an issue. Lawrence has failed to throw for 300-plus yards in a single game this season, despite hitting 40-plus passing attempts in each of his last two. 
This week, volume could be hard to come by with Atlanta implementing a run-heavy offensive approach. And it's hard to trust the Jaguars to create a high-volume game environment on their own. Against the Texans, the Jaguars were very conservative, posting a minus 3% pass rate over expected and a minus 16% PROE on first and 10. Then I have a chart here uh, showing the Jaguars from week three. They were down with the Titans in terms of pass rate of expected on first and 10. Uh, they are near the Dolphins, who were just you know running the game, closing things out against the Broncos. Conservative approach and a strange approach given that they lost to the Texans. To be fair, the Jaguars weren't run heavy in weeks one through two, but it's still not a great look as they head into a matchup with the Falcons. The next chart shows pass rate over expected by week. Uh, in week one, the Jaguars had a minus 2% pass rate of expected, so they had a slight lean to the run, but then they shifted uh, hard to the pass in week two, 13% PROE. And in both weeks, they were positive in PROE on first down. But that was the big difference last week where they shifted to minus 16%, very conservative on first down last week. If the Jaguars want to implement a run-first offense, the Falcons' defense won't push them off that plan. From the lens of EPA, the Falcons have been more efficient at stopping the run than the pass. But their rushing success rate is actually quite poor, and their dropback success rate is very solid. The Jaguars can play to their own perceived strengths here. Then I've got the matchup chart. And yeah, the Falcons have been pretty consistent at stopping the pass, but they do not rank well in EPA per play. And then they do rank well in EPA per rush, but they've not been consistent at stopping the run. But how do the Jaguars see themselves? If Jacksonville sees themselves as a run-first team, the game plan will run through Travis Etienne. Etienne is dominating snaps and carries, with Tank Bigsby operating as a clear backup. Then I've got the snap shares here. Etienne at 75% this season, Tank Bigsby at 17%. But there are a few issues with Etienne's profile. He's not seeing a ton of receiving work, his efficiency is middling, and he doesn't have a lock on goal line carries. Frustratingly, Bigsby has gotten all three of the Jaguars' attempts inside the five this year, and although Etienne is dominating routes, he's not seeing targets at a high-end rate. And even when Etienne has the ball in his hands, he could be doing more with it. Then I've got Etienne's usage and efficiency chart here. Uh, he is running back 22 in rush yards over expected per game. He has a 46% success rate, which is solid. Good and elusive rating, uh, but it's not really translating to yardage efficiency yet, which is more important. His yards per outrun also not great at 0.95. It's unfair to say that Etienne has been bad this year. He hasn't, but he's not doing enough to overcome a disappointing lack of high value touches. Still, if the Jaguars play the Falcons on Atlanta's terms and implement a run-first game plan, ETN will lead the way. Given his excellent rushing efficiency in 2022, this matchup creates potential for a strong fantasy performance. If the Jaguars are looking to get back to the passing game this week, Calvin Ridley looks like the clear leader. Ridley has been outgained by Christian Kirk for two straight weeks, but his underlying numbers look very good. His biggest issue is a poor 6.9 yards per target but he's drawing targets like a number one receiver. Then I've got the chart here comparing Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, and Zay Jones. Uh, Ridley's first read targets per route are at 22%, with Kirk at 15%, and Jones at 14%. Ridley has the highest expected yards per route run at 2.06. Kirk is at just 1.64, Jones at 1.98, so he's pretty strong there as well. Then Calvin Ridley only has a 6.9 yards per target, 
Jones has been underperforming there as well at just 4.2. Kirk, decent yards per target of 7.9. Still, Christian Kirk's outlook is much stronger than it appeared after week one when he posted 66% route participation against the Colts. He's rebounded in a big way. Then I've got the chart here from Fantasy Life showing that Christian Kirk had a 91% route participation last week. With Say Jones reportedly a long shot to play this game, Kirk should be out there for nearly every route and profiles as a solid flex play. Evan Ingram remains a bet on high-end route participation and a good not great target profile. That profile is more interesting in high-volume game environments, which this probably will not be. But Ingram appeared to benefit from Zay Jones' Week 3 absence, posting a 21% targets per route run for the second straight week. Ingram's upside is limited by his shallow 3.4 A dot. Then I've got Evan Ingram's stats here. Route participation of 83% is very good. Uh, targets per route run 19%, pretty strong. But that A dot of 3.4 takes his expected yards per route run down to 1.29. Not actually a ton of volume per route. Uh, so we're looking for game environments where he gets a lot of routes. The next game, which kicks off the 1 p.m. window, is Broncos at Bears. Broncos implied team total, 24.75. The Broncos are coming off a deeply embarrassing loss, but Denver's inability to stop Miami's offense shouldn't distract us from Russell Wilson's decently promising 2023 rebound. Wilson ranks quarterback 10 in EPA per game and quarterback 8 in success rate. He's definitely not one of the top passers in the league, but he currently leads the above average tier. Then I've got the EPA per game chart here. The Tua is at the very top right. He's absolutely crushing right now. And then it's uh, Brock Purdy, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Geno Smith, and Lamar Jackson kind of forming a tier behind him. Then you could argue that Wilson leads the next tier after that. The Broncos aren't aggressively running their offense through Wilson, but they aren't actively hiding him either. They've operated with a slight lean to the run so far, posting a minus 2% PROE overall and on first down. Then I've got the pass rate over expected chart. They're running kind of similar to the Buccaneers, to the Browns, uh, to the Saints, sort of. They're fairly balanced with a slight lean to the run. And this week, they have the chance to play the worst pass defense they will face all year since they can't play themselves. Then I've got the chart here showing the Bears defense. They aren't nearly as bad as the Broncos defense, but they form kind of a tier here with the Giants and the Raiders, uh, teams that are not good against the run and very poor against the pass. The Bears are 31st in EPA allowed per dropback, 28th in coverage grade, and are allowing explosive plays at the third highest rate. Then I have the matchup chart here. A lot of red for the Bears. Pass defense, run defense looks below average, but not horrendous. The pass defense is what really jumps out. Russell Wilson is set up for one of his best outings of the season, particularly as a downfield passer. Let's hope Marvin Mims is on the field more. Then I've got a tweet here from Scott Barrett. He's got the Broncos' longest gains of the 2023 season. Number one, Marvin Mims, 99 yards. Number two, Marvin Mims, 60 yards. Number three, Marvin Mims, 53 yards. Number four is Brandon Johnson with 50 yards. Number five is Jerry Judy with 46 yards. Then number six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 are all Marvin Mims, 45, 38, 30, 30, and 25 yards. Then he finishes with Mims has just seven catches plus five kick returns this year. Mims has been absolutely electric when on the field this season, but his 23% route participation 
makes him impossible to start. Your only option is to watch him compile starter-level fantasy production on your bench. Then I've got the chart here showing Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton, and Marvin Mims. Mims is popping in all the per-route stuff here. 33% targets per route run, 4.26 expected yards per route run, 26% first read target rate. He just is not running very many routes. The weird part about the situation is that the Broncos are calling plays with Mims in mind when he is on the field. His team leading 26% first read target rate is elite, but Sean Payton only has a small role carved out for Mims, instead trusting Brandon Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey in a wider variety of situations. But this is Mims' demand for more playing time. Then I've got a chart here. I used this a bit last week. It shows Whopper on the uh, y-axis and yards per route run on the x-axis. Mims has like an insane yards per route run right now of 7.22. Uh, it's a small sample. It's going to regress a lot. But he uh, is bra- like truly breaking the chart. This is a chart that Tyreek Hill is already kind of breaking. But when you add Mims to it, he fully breaks it. Against a Bears defense that is horrendous against the pass, putting Mims into your starting lineup wouldn't even be that crazy this week. It's the type of move that could easily create a zero in your lineup, but if you genuinely feel like you don't have a better option, you might be right. Mims isn't just good at drawing targets. He draws coverage as well. His 30% double coverage rate is far higher than Jerry Judy's or Cortland Sutton's, and Mims continues to earn targets at a crazy high rate despite the extra defensive attention. In his current rotational role, Mims isn't out there to help anyone get open. He's out there to execute the package of plays the Broncos have installed for him. But if Mims were to play more, he would naturally see his expected yards per outrun drop from a preposterous 4.26. It would still likely be very good, just not otherworldly. At that point, Judy and Sutton would benefit from the threat of Mims opening up additional room in the offense. That would help offset his target earning ability, to some extent at least. With that in mind, I'm not worried about Mims seeing additional playing time this week if considering whether to play one of Judy or Sutton. The rookie is unlikely to see a huge playing time bump in one week, and even if he does, he should help stretch a very weak Bears pass defense. The veterans both profile as solid flex plays, assuming Jerry Judy, knee, is expected to get a full slate of routes after Friday's practice. Things look less optimistic in the backfield. Javante Williams has been a very inefficient rusher this season, ranking RB45 in rush yards over expected per game and running back 44 in success rate. And I've got Javante Williams' chart here. Minus 11 rush yards over expected per game is quite poor. 31% success rate is very poor. He is not popping an elusive rating or breakaway yards per game. It has not been an impressive start for Williams as a rusher. And Williams' playing time is trending in the wrong direction. Then I've got his snap chart here from Fantasy Life. Uh, 48% snaps week one, 46% week two, 42% week three, 62% share of team attempts week one, 60% week two, 55% week three. Target share has gone 16%, 12%, 6%. Given that Williams is coming off a multi-ligament knee tear, I wouldn't read into this all that much long term. The Broncos may feel that they ramped him up too quickly, but he's avoided any setbacks and his late season outlook remains strong. But in this game, I expect we'll again see him in a part-time role, making Williams difficult to trust despite a soft matchup. 
moving to the Bears, who have an applied team total of 21.25. In a league with Zach Wilson starting games, it's actually crazy that Justin Fields ranks dead last in the EPA per game. But that's where we're at. Then I've got the EPA per game chart. Fields' success rate has not been as bad as Wilson's or Burroughs or Tannehill's or Young's, but he has been the very worst in expected points added per game. Fields has averaged minus 11.4 expected points added per game. The dude is nearly two touchdowns away from positive efficiency. Field success rate isn't quite as disastrous, ranking quarterback 31, but that's a weak silver lining. At this point, it's hard to see anything saving Fields' real-life value. He'll likely have a starting job next year on the last year of his rookie deal, but after that, things look pretty bleak. Fortunately, his short-term fantasy value has a lot more potential. The first thing we need to see is designed rushing attempts. We got that last week. Fields executed seven designed runs. Only Lamar Jackson, 11, and Jalen Hurts, 8, had more. Fields added four scrambles, totaling 47 yards on 11 carries. Entering week three, Fields was averaging four scrambles per game, but just 2.5 designed runs. Hopefully the Bears coaches are over their amnesia and have rediscovered Fields' rushing ability. The next thing we want to see is an insanely incompetent pass defense. And wouldn't you know it? Then I have a chart here showing the Broncos the very worst in both rush EPA per play allowed and dropback EPA per play allowed. While the Bears' passing offense looks like a disaster, the Broncos' pass defense might be even worse. Then I've got the matchup chart here. <laughs> the Broncos, I mean, they did just let up 70 points to the Dolphins, but they are deep red in every category that I reference. After last week's disaster, the Broncos appear especially susceptible to speed. That's highly relevant for this matchup, provided the Bears coaches remember their quarterback is a deadly fast rushing threat. I know it's been a rough start to the season for Fields, and he might just go down as a fantasy bust, but if we're going to get a blow-up game out of him, this is the spot. After a slow start last year, Fields became a DFS slate breaker, and I'll be betting on him to emerge again this week against a defense that ranks dead last in EPA allowed per dropback and EPA allowed per rush. And that makes it a good week to get hurt by DJ Moore again. Moore has been a consistent feature of the Bears passing attack, running a route on 96% of dropbacks, but he has a very poor 12% first read target rate. The thing is, that leads the team. We know that Fields isn't comfortable running this offense and is holding onto the ball too long. And that is undoubtedly costing more targets that the Bears' play calling is setting him up for. The overall setup is disastrous, but Moore does appear to be the top option in the passing game. The next chart shows DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, and Chase Claypool's receiving stats. DJ Moore has a 12% first read target rate, which is bad, but it's still better than Darnell Mooney's 8% or Chase Claypool's 10%. He has a 1.26 expected yards per route run, which is bad but it's still better than Darnell Mooney's 0.94. It's actually a little worse than Chase Claypool's 1.30, but DJ Moore has 96% route participation with Chase Claypool at 79%, so he is out there more often at least. Moore's underwhelming first read target rate may indicate that he isn't getting open at a high rate, exacerbating Fields' indecisiveness. But even if that's true, the Broncos' defense should be good for some lapses in coverage. 
And with a 14.4 ADOT, Moore comes with big play potential against a defense that just let up 11 15-plus yard passes to Miami. If you aren't willing to play more this week, I get it. But he probably shouldn't be on your roster then. On the rushing side of things, hopefully Fields will handle a big chunk of the workload. The rest will be split up between Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson. Although Herbert has a majority of snaps the last two weeks, he may have functionally ceded control of the backfield to Johnson last week. The next chart shows Khalil Herbert's snaps being pretty solid last week at 55%, but he dropped in share of uh, rushing attempts, 43% week one, 47% week two, down to 32% in week three. With Herbert slipping to 32% of team attempts and Johnson seeing a season-high 36%, the rookie looks like just as strong of a start this week. Then I've got the chart here showing Roshan Johnson moving in the right direction. Herbert is unlikely to deliver value on his summer ADP, but he still looks like a viable spot start for now. His 64% success rate hints at untapped rushing efficiency. Then I have Herbert's stats. Uh, He does have a very strong success rate. He's RB2 with that 64% success rate. He has not been explosive, but that consistency, I think, does point to the potential for more as a rusher. But Johnson also looks intriguing, especially if the Broncos are able to push the Bears to the air. Johnson's receiving usage and efficiency have been impressive. Then I have Johnson's chart. And yeah, the, the big thing that jumps out, 14% target share, 28% targets per outrun, which is RB6, and 1.44 yards per outrun, which is very solid. That's RB10 this year. The next game is Rams at Colts. Rams implied team total, 22.5. Entering the season... The idea of a pass-heavy Rams team would not have been all that surprising. This was a team that we expected to be trailing quite a bit. But the fact that they've largely been passing from a position of strength without Cooper Cup in the lineup is shocking. The next chart is the expected pass rate and pass rate chart. And this is for the entire season. The Chiefs kind of lead the dictating the pass group of teams. But the Chargers and the Rams are right behind them as teams that are in situations where they don't have to pass, but that's the way they want to play. This approach makes sense because Matthew Stafford is playing well this season. Stafford struggled in week three against the Bengals, but for the season, he still looks very solid, ranking QB 15 in EPA per game and QB 12 in success rate. Then I have the EPA per game chart. Stafford right next to Jared Goff on the chart. Uh, just below Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes actually, although he's underperformed, uh, but he's below Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins, but has been a bit more consistent. So very solid season so far from Stafford. Stafford now gets a beatable Colts secondary, ranking 26th in coverage grade and 28th in preventing 15 plus yard passes. It could be a fun week. Then I have the matchup chart here. The Colts pass rush is pretty solid but they look vulnerable in coverage, 26th in coverage grade, 28th in explosive pass percentage, and 26th in dropback success rate. But Stafford could also be looking to get the ball out quickly against a Colts defense that ranks 8th in PFF's pass rush grades and 8th in pass rush win rate. The Rams' offensive line is starting to profile as a major weakness, so Stafford may be unable to sit comfortably in the pocket and let deep routes materialize. Sounds like a perfect setup for an intermediate target dominator. 
Then I have a chart comparing Puka Nakua, Tutu Atwell, and Van Jefferson. And Puka Nakua really jumps out here in particular. He has a first read target rate of 25%, which is very strong. Tutu Atwell is at 19%, which is pretty good as well. Van Jefferson, though, at just 7%. And then Puka's expected yards per route run is 2.59. His yards per route run is elite at 2.68. Tutu's pretty solid in both numbers. Uh, 1.87 1.87 to 1.88. Van Jefferson, very poor in both numbers. His 0.67 yards per route run really sticks out as being quite terrible. But the differences don't stop there because Puka is a much more shallow target earner. He has an 8 out of 8.5. 2 2 more to the intermediate and deep level at 13.0. And Van Jefferson's been getting, getting targeted when targeted really deep downfield with an 18.8 ADOT. Not only is Puka Nakua seeing shallow targets, 8.5 ADOT, but he's also seeing first read targets at a very high rate, 25%. If you're looking to get the ball out quickly, quick developing first read routes seem like an ideal solution. I don't want to take anything away from Tutu Atwell. He's played very well this season and should be able to produce big plays against a weak called secondary. But this looks like an ideal spot for Nakua to turn in another massive target total. In the backfield, things are even simpler. Kyron Williams is the only option. Then I've got a chart here showing snap share across the entire NFL at the running back position. Kyron Williams is at 86%, which leads all running backs. Then Rashad White and Josh Jacobs are at 80%. Those three are the only running backs at 80% plus. Williams ranks RB1 in snap share, RB1 in route participation, and RB6 in target share. Based on poor efficiency across the board, Williams is probably not very good, and that could eventually prove to be a big problem. It certainly helps explain why Williams totaled 65 scoreless yards on 17 opportunities against the Bengals. But Williams is averaging 21 expected points per game this season. He can still underperform significantly and turn in high-end RB2 production on that kind of workload. If he performs in line with expectations, he could deliver borderline elite value this week. Then I have Kyron Williams' stats and usage here. And yeah, he's not been efficient in any metric, but that 21 expected points per game looks pretty good. Moving to the Colts, who have an implied team total of 23.5. Anthony Richardson remains in the concussion protocol, but has returned to practice. So there's a decent chance he's cleared in time for this game. Last week, without a dual threat rookie under center, it would have been reasonable to expect the Colts to play faster and shift toward the pass. The exact opposite happened. The Colts only slowed down in pace slightly, finishing 8th in situation-neutral seconds per play after leading the NFL through the first two weeks. More dramatically, the Colts moved from a balanced offense to a run-heavy one. Then I have a chart here showing the Colts' pass rate over expected by week. They were passed first in weeks 1 and 2, dropping though to a minus 7% PROE in week 3. Then their pass rate of expected on first down They were conservative in week one, slightly aggressive with 3% rate in week two, and then set a season low at minus 11% in week three. This approach worked out pretty well, leading to an overtime win over the Ravens. But it may have been necessary in part to hide Gardner Minshew, who did not impress. Then I have the EPA per game chart. Gardner Minshew, uh, this is just for week three was down near Joe Burrow, Daniel Jones, Justin Fields, Desmond Ritter. If Richardson returns this week, he won't be a huge upgrade on Minshew. 
but the rookie has been solid so far, ranking quarterback 19 in EPA per game, quarterback 20 in EPA per play, and quarterback 19 in success rate, despite being as inaccurate as expected. Richardson ranks just quarterback 31 in CPOE. Minshew's accuracy is far better, ranking quarterback 18 in CPOE, but he ranks quarterback 24 in EPA per game, quarterback 24 in EPA per play, and quarterback 29 in success rate. Then I've got the EPA per game chart, and just showing that my point is Richardson has been slightly better. Um, he is, he's been solid. He's been kind of in the middle of the chart here, right near Josh Dobbs, Derek Carr, Deshaun Watson. Uh, Mac Jones has been slightly more consistent, but a similar EPA per game. Richardson's been more consistent than C.J. Stroud. Uh, not as efficient in EPA per game, but not a dramatic difference between the two. So he's definitely been solid and uh, better than Minshew. Assuming the rookie is back under center, the Colts should feel good about attacking a Rams defense that ranks dead last in PFF's coverage grades. Then I've got the matchup chart here. The Rams' pass defense doesn't look bad overall, but they do stick out as being quite poor in coverage. Last week's matchup against the Ravens could have gone very poorly for Richardson. Baltimore is strong in both coverage and against the run, but has an unimpressive pass rush. The Rams are the opposite. Their middling rush is their strength with poor coverage and frequent letdowns in the run game. That's a much better setup for a rushing quarterback. Richardson should pick up where he left off against the Texans. As expected, Michael Pittman saw solid target volume from Minshew, drawing 11 targets and going 9 for 77 and 0. But Josh Downs was the bigger story. On a career-high 84% route participation, he saw 11 targets, going 8 for 57 and 0. Intriguingly, 8 of 11 targets were first read. Downs now looks like a far more interesting secondary option than Alec Pierce. Then I have a chart comparing Pittman, Downs, and Pierce, and Pierce is just not drawing any target volume. He has an expected yards per out run of just 1.04. He has a very deep 8 out of 16.9, but he isn't getting targeted at a high rate. 8% first read targets, 10% targets per out run. Downs is targeted much more shallowly, but he is now getting targeted at a decent rate, 20% targets per route run. But I would note that Alec Pierce's 16.9 ADOT gives him significantly more upside when targeted than Downs' shallow 5.9 ADOT does. And it's hard to see Downs' underneath skill set meshing well with Richardson's inaccuracy. Downs is starting to emerge, but I'd prefer to keep him on the bench for now. The Colts are not messing around in the backfield. They are feeding Zach Moss. Moss's snap share was down from Week 2's absurd 98% rate, but he still handled 86% of team attempts for the second straight week. Trey Sermon drew two targets and cut into Moss's receiving game role a bit, but the rushing workload is more important here, especially with Richardson under center. The next chart shows Zach Moss's uh, game log 76% snap share, down from 98% the week before, but he had 86% of the team carries in both games. Moss has been startlingly effective this year. He has a very solid 42% success rate and ranks running back 10 in rush yards over expected per game. Moss is largely a product of the Colts' strong offensive line play. They rank 4th in run block win rate. But as long as star guard Quentin Nelson plays through a toe injury, we can expect strong blocking again this week along with zero competition in the backfield. Shockingly, Moss profiles as a low-end RB1. Then I've got Moss's stats here. 
And he hasn't been efficient as a receiver with just 0.84 yards per route run, but not all that concerned about that, especially with Richardson as the quarterback. Instead, I think the rushing efficiency is more important. RB10 in rush yards over expected per game. RB21 in success rate. RB12 in breakaway yards per game. RB22 in elusive rating. So he's been solid to good in pretty much all the rushing metrics. And the workload has been elite with 18.6 expected points per game. He's been efficient on top of that as well with 3.1 fantasy points over expected per game, which ranks RB6. All right, that'll do it for this free preview. If you want to listen to the rest or read the rest, head over to legendaryupside.com. You can sign up for just 10 bucks a month. It's $99 for the entire year. But I still do have some $50 underdog credits. You can check out the details on how to claim that at legendaryupside.com slash legup-perks. But hope you enjoyed this. Hope you have a great weekend of football. Good luck on Sunday.